Hi, everyone. Welcome to today's Safety and Health webcast, FR Garments for Multiple Hazard Protection, sponsored by WorkRight Uniform Company. My name is Joe Bush. I am an associate editor with Safety and Health Magazine, and I will be moderating today's session. Thanks for joining us. In a few minutes, we'll start the presentation, but first I want to go over some preliminary items. The views of today's speakers and organizations are their own and do not necessarily reflect those of the National Safety Council or Safety and Health Magazine. Any mention of commercial enterprise, product, or publication does not mean the Council or Magazine endorses those items. At the end of today's webcast, we will conduct a question and answer session. To ask a question, simply type it in the text box in the lower left-hand corner of your screen and click the button for Submit Question. Feel free to ask your question at any time during the presentation. You don't have to wait for the question and answer session to begin. We'll try to answer as many questions as possible, but because of the large number of participants today, we might not get to every question. Any unanswered questions will be forwarded along to today's speakers. For basic troubleshooting information, click the Help button located on your screen. At the end of the webcast, you will be asked to complete a brief evaluation survey. I will let you know more about that after the presentation. This webcast is archived, so you can access it after today's live event. To view this webcast and all of our past webcasts, go to safetyandhealthmagazine.com events. With that, let's go ahead and get started. Our speaker today will be Mark Sainer, FR Technical Manager for WorkRight Uniform Company. Saner brings 40 years of experience in the fire and safety industries to his work, including 29 years in technical support, safety standards, and product development for Akron Brass Manufacturing Company. Saner participates as a voting member within a number of national and international safety organizations to help develop, revise, influence, and further improve standards for worker safety. Thanks to all of you for tuning in to this presentation. Mark, whenever you're ready, go ahead and take it away. Great. Thank you, Joe. And thanks, everybody, for uh, joining me today for uh, this webinar uh, on flame-resistant garments for uh, multiple hazard protection. Today I'm going to talk about a number of things, including, you know, what what do we mean by multi-hazard? What does that uh, mean when we talk about it in that terms? Uh, why there might be a need for uh, multi-hazard protection? We'll talk about some various performance standards that apply to these different hazards and some examples of some of the um, multi-hazard uh, fabrics that are currently out there in the marketplace, and some other factors that uh, you might want to consider when you're evaluating fabrics and garments for use in your particular application. So with that said, let's, uh, let's get started into the meat of the presentation. You know, what do we mean by multi-hazard? And it's, you know, pretty straightforward. We're looking at protection against more than one hazard for an individual in a particular uh, situation or a particular environment. We're talking about primarily things like electric arc flash protection, flash fire protection, exposure when you've got uh, potential for a flash fire event, chemical splash protection that might be also uh, in the environment that's being worked in, as well as high visibility. And there are other hazards that uh, could be applied in this situation. Um, we will touch on a couple of those, but these are the uh, kind of the basic, most primary ones that FR garments are designed to uh, protect against. So what, um, what are some of the ways that these might interact or in situations where you might have multi-hazard uh, involvement? 
You could be um, in an electric arc environment working on a high-voltage electrical equipment, but it's within an area where there's also flash high, uh, flash fire environment, whether you know, you're in a refinery and you're an electrician, those kind of things. So you could have both of those. It's not uncommon for those to um, both be um, in both be present in an environment, particularly when uh, you're uh, working around the high voltage electrical equipment. And also there could be environments where you're uh, working against those or for, uh, where there's high voltage electrical flash potential and you might need high visibility. You're working in an area where you've got moving vehicles and so forth, so you're gonna have both. And just being protected for one uh, obviously doesn't uh, help you for the other, so you, you'll need to have both of those available in your garments. Another situation is you you might have a flash fire environment, but you're also working around chemical splashes, um, chemicals that could uh, provide skin burn injuries if they get on your skin. And again, you want to be able to protect against both, not just one or the other. Or you don't want to have multiple garments to protect against those. That can lead to some situations that are not, not the best uh, in the world. You don't want to be in those kind of situations. Chemical flash. Uh, splash and flash fire, kind of the reverse situation. Your main uh, operation that has to do with working with chemicals, but there is potential for a flash. You could be working with uh, acids, corrosives, poor organic solvents that you don't want to get on your skin, but there also could be flammable, combustible liquids, materials in the area that could, uh, if exposed to ignition source, could flash. So, you know, just because you're wearing one a uh, piece of PPE to protect against. One of the hazards doesn't mean it protects against the other. So being able to uh, have a PPE apparel that protects against both could be uh, very important. So what are some of the rules, regulations, and standards that apply to general hazards across the general industries? The most common one that people talk about is the general duty clause. This is an OSHA requirement that requires employers you have uh, employees protected against recognized hazards. You know, if there is a hazard, they either have to you know, remove the hazard but, or, and or protect against that hazard, you know, regardless of what it is. It's uh, incumbent on the employer to know what the hazards are and do the appropriate things for employees. And this, this is for all industries. It's not specific to any one industry. It's, it goes across the uh, industry market, wherever it might be. If you've got a hazard, the employer's incumbent to know what that hazard is and what's necessary to uh, either eliminate or protect the employees from it. The other OSHA general hazard uh, or general um, regulation has to do with PPE, and that's OSHA 1910-132. In that particular uh, rule, it talks about employers assessing the workplace to determine what hazards are present. Again, it's the employer's responsibility to know what the hazards are, know that they're present, and know what the appropriate PPE is so that they can provide it to their employees. And again, like the general duty clause, uh, this applies to all industries. The employer needs to select and provide the appropriate PPE for whatever the hazard is they identify. Again, any, any industry this applies to is not specific to any one industry. <clears throat> so with those regulations in mind, what are some of the performance standards that apply to the various hazards that are out in the marketplace that we just talked about? Electric arc flash. 
you've got standards like the National Fire Protection Association Standard 70E. That applies to working on electrical equipment, energized electrical equipment in the manufacturing world. Not in the transmission and distribution world, but in the other parts of the business. Once the, once the elect, electrical currents get into the building and you're working on electrical panels, high voltage, where there could be an arc flash, NFPA 70E takes place. And in Canada, the CSA Z462 is basically the same as 70E. It's kind of a mirror image, does the same things, has mostly the same rules and standard performance requirements. So those two are for the electricians working in the uh, manufacturing world. Then you've got the OSHA 1910.269 in the U.S. that applies to the uh, utilities, applies to uh, transmission, distribution line workers when they're working on energized lines, gives all the rules, regulations, requirements, what type of PPE to wear, etc. And all of these electrical different standards and regulations basically all kind of fall back on an ASTM standard, ASTM F1506. This is the standard that has the performance specifications for the flame-resistant textiles and apparel that are worn to protect against arc flash. So if you need to know what uh, is the requirement for the uh, apparel, ASTM F1506 gives the uh, guidelines for what and the rules for how the performance of that product is supposed to, to perform. And this, again, applies to electricians, maintenance workers, utility linemen, depending on which uh, category they're in. When you get into flash fire, now you're talking about the National Fire Protection Association standard 2112, or as it's known in the industry, 2112. That lays out the uh, rules and groundwork for the um, protective uh, clothing that's used by individuals that could be exposed to what's called a short duration thermal exposure fire, basically a flash fire. And in Canada, you've got the same type of a uh, performance standard, the CGSB 155.20. Again, lays out the ground rules for flame-resistant clothing in that environment where you've got the potential for a flash fire. Primarily used in things like refining, drilling, chemical processing, also in laboratories, uh, can be uh, applied to anywhere where there's combustible dust potential exposures or explosions. Uh, every, if those are the situations that you have in your environment, flash fire, those are the standards that would be applicable. In terms of chemical splash, and I'm talking about inadvertent chemical splash, not uh, you know uh, volumes of chemical spills. Uh, the NFPA 45 and OSHA 1910-1450 get into chemical splash protection. They're a little more... Um, bag, and we'll get into some details on that. It's, they don't get into the real specifics like the other ones do, but uh, they're out there and are uh, things that you need to be aware of. And they apply to laboratories, chemical processing, manufacturing, anywhere where you're working with uh, chemicals. And then you've got your high visibility standards. You've got your ANSI uh, 107 uh, in the U.S. that applies for high visibility requirements. There's also a Canadian version. Um, CSA Z96 uh, that applies, and this has to do when you're working around uh, moving vehicles or areas where visibility could be a problem, utility linemen, maintenance workers, again, refining, drilling, all those where you could be working in low-light environments where uh, visibility uh, could be a hazard. 
So when you're looking at multiple uh, these different hazards and what the requirements are on the standards, for example, on the electric arc flash, the uh, F1506 has a requirement for a flammability test with a uh, less than a six inch char length requirement. It also requires the fabrics and garments to have an arc rating. Uh, they have uh, either an ATPV or a EBT, which is a calories per square centimeter rating. All the fabric is tested. It's uh, put in a uh, test device where there's an arc explosion that measures the thermal energy transfer through the fabric, picks it up, and identify where there's a 50% probability of second-degree burn, and that's the rating. It could be a, a 8-calorie rating, a 10-calorie, 25-calorie, whatever it might be. All the garments for arc protection have to have an arc rating listed on it. If you don't see an arc rating list on it, it's not designed for an arc flash and it's not to be used in that environment. And then in terms of NFPA 70E, it also has a listing of various categories, PPE categories for different levels of arc flash. Category 1, minimum of 4 calories uh, arc uh, rating. Category 2, minimum of 8. Category 3, minimum of 25. And Category 4, minimum of 40 arc rating in those environments. And in the 70E standard, you can read what that means and how that applies to you and uh, whether or not that's something that uh, you need to be aware of. Most people are wearing uh, in the uh, manufacturing environment, electrical environment outside of the uh, utilities, are wearing at least a category two, eight calorie garment plus uh, special situations. They might need to bump it up to a higher level category four or, or whatnot, but those are all in the NFPA 70 standard. When you look at the flash fire standard, it's a little bit different. Um, it has different test requirements and uh, different uh, performance requirements. It does the same flammability test, but it only allows a four-inch char lengths maximum. So it has to be no more than four-inch char length. So it's a little more stringent than the arc flash. It also has a uh, flash fire mannequin test that measures body burn performance, uh, estimated based on that test. It's a mannequin with 100-some-odd sensors on it, uh, the coverall of standard make coverall of the fabrics put on there. It's exposed to a three-second jet fire, fully engulfed uh, fire, and it measures the thermal transfer through the fabric, does its calculations to determine uh, second-degree uh, burns or when it's gonna, how much second or third-degree burn it's going to be exposed to, and it can't be any more than 50% body burn or less than 50% body burn to uh, pass the NFPA 2112 standard. Canada has the same test requirement, but in the Canadian standard, the CGSB 155.20, uh, has to be less than 40%. So it's a little uh, it's a little more strict. Most of the fabrics meet those requirements uh, fairly easily, but uh, again, in order to be 2112 certified, you have to pass those. Uh, there's also a heat and uh, Transfer performance test that's performed can be no greater than six calories, and the 21, NFPA 2112 requires third-party certification, so it has to have a UL mark that it's uh, certified to that standard. If somebody says, yeah, mine uh, conforms to NFPA 2112, if it doesn't have a third-party UL mark on it that it's been certified, it's not in conformance. In terms of chemical splash, as I said earlier, it's not as specific. Uh, the NFPA 45 
spells out that you should wear uh, flame-resistant clothing when using pyrophorics. doesn't give you any details on it. Most people would uh, go to the NFPA 2112 as their flame-resistant clothing. And then the OSHA 1910-1450 basically just says you should wear lab coats around hazardous materials. The PPE must be suitable for the hazard. So if you're around an acid or corrosive that could give you a skin burn, you need to have lab coats that are appropriate to protect against that particular hazard. And then in terms of high visibility, the ANSI standard and the uh, Canadian uh, CSA standard talk about you know, the color of the material, the fluorescent properties, uh, the amount of the uh, material um, in terms of whether it's a shirt or pant or a vest or whatever it might be, uh, requirements are out there. And it has them laid out very specifically how much for each uh, different class. Um, also gives you some requirements for the reflective tape, you know, how it's supposed to perform and uh, how much of it there needs to be. Lays out this uh, three different types, type O for off-road when you're not on a roadway, R for roadway and P for public safety, which is mostly when you're going to be like uh, traffic police when the safety vest or something like that. The ANSI standard also spells out specific classes, class 1, 2, 3, and E. And those have varying degrees of the amount of material, the base fluorescent bright yellow or uh, the greens or the bright orange colors that you'll see out there. Those are the amount of it. Um, and it also starts to get into some of the configurations. So obviously class one doesn't need as much as class two or class three, um, but it lays out very specifically how many square inches of background material you need. And then it also gets into the different uh, amounts of tape, how wide the tape has to be, how much the tape has to be, as well as the configuration. Where does the tape have to be in order to be considered a class one, class two, or class three? So lots of different requirements in there, and the high visibility garments should spell that out. They should spell out it's a um, type R class two garment. You should see that on a label someplace to know that it's a high vis. You know, it could be a um, flash fire garment made out of that same material with reflective tape on it, but if it doesn't have the right amount of tape in the right positions, or if it's not the right color of background material, then it may not meet ANSI. And that should also be spelled out on the garment itself. <clears throat> Another hazard that comes up periodically, molten metal splatter. There is a standard for welding, cutting, and those types of processes in ANSI uh, Z49, specifically to those, uh, those types of operations that I mentioned, the welding, cutting, grinding. Arc Flash has some molten metal splatter that could be out there. And it gets into a little bit of detail, not as much as the other. It talks about uh, you should wear something that's going to avoid ignition and have as much shedding capability as is appropriate for your particular application. You don't want that molten metal to stick onto the garment. You don't want to ignite the garment in the first place, but you don't want it to stick on there because that will have uh, continued heat transfer through the fabric onto the skin and create a burn potential burn injury. So that, there's some basic standards for that uh, molten metal application. And also rainwear. Uh, you know, you don't think of rain as a hazard, but, you know, there are, uh, if you're in a situation where you need FR and you want to have, and it's going to rain, you have problems with the weather, you don't want to wear a non-FR piece of rainwear because it could ignite and burn and your FR underneath 
isn't going to give you as much protection. It's not going to do its job. So there are two standards specific to rainwear. There's an ANSI F2733, which deals with rainwear that's uh, specified for flame-resistant applications. And then there's the ASTM F1891. This one's specific to uh, arc flash. It has flame in it too, but that's the arc flash one. Uh, standard for rainwear that's in an arc flash environment. So utility linemen, refining, drilling, people working outdoors that need rainwear, they need to be FR rainwear, uh, and it has to meet one of those two standards depending on what the application is. So you don't want to wear something over top that's not flame-resistant if you're in a flame-resistant environment. Outermost layer always has to be flame-resistant. The uh, basic requirements for rainwear, you're talking about, number one, it's got to repel the moisture. It's got to repel some rain. It's got to have its requirement there. Uh, it does have a char length requirement, just like the other uh, flame-resistant standard. It's got some body burn numbers if it's for the flash fire version, and it's got an arc rating for the arc version. So those are some of the basic requirements for a uh, flame-resistant rainwear. So why do you need multi-hazard? Pretty obvious, workers can encounter multiple hazards within the uh, particular job situation. As I said earlier, they could be an electrician in a refinery. Uh, you could be uh, working in a laboratory with um, hazardous chemicals, acids, corrosives, but there also may be some flammable chemicals, some ignition sources around. You've got the high visibility people working on uh, power lines out on the roadway. You need high vis and arc flash. Uh, you need the rainwear to go with those as well. So lots of different applications where you might need uh, multiple uh, hazard performance. You've got contractors coming on site. Uh, if you've got an electrical contractor coming on site to a um, refinery, just because they have an arc flash protection garments doesn't mean that it meets the flame uh, flash fire requirements, does it? So it needs to meet NFPA 2112 as well as the arc flash requirements. So that's another situation. One of the other reasons it's easy, much easier for a safety manager to buy one garment versus two. If you're going to uh, encounter two different hazards, if you're going to encounter arc flash and flash fire or chemical splash and flash fire, it's much better to have one garment instead of two. Easier to manage, easier to identify, you know what you're getting into. Uh, it's just a much easier situation for both the um, safety manager and the employee. And it keeps the employee in compliance. A prime example is you're working on a situation um, with a, a uh, flash around flammable chemicals in a laboratory, so you know you need to have your FR lab coat on. So I'm going to go into the next lab over may not have the uh, flammables in it, but it's got acids and corrosives. So what do I do? I have to either put on a separate chemical splash garment, whether it's a disposable or an apron or whatever it might be, over top of what I'm wearing today. But I have to remember to do it. I have to have an incentive to do it. I can't say, oh, I've done this experiment 100 times, not worried about it, so I won't do it. Well, that's the day you're going to have the, uh, the problem. That's when you're going to have an accident. So you take that whole thought process out of the situation. You have the garment on that covers the hazards you're uh, being exposed to. Everybody's going to be in compliance, and the safety managers don't have to worry about that. So simplifies the process, better compliance, 
you don't have to worry about going from one hazard to the next or having multiple hazards in the uh, job uh, site. Here are just a few examples. There's many more, but here's a few examples of some of the fabrics that do cover multiple hazards. You've got, for example, a Nomex MHP. It's got an 8-cal uh, Category 2 ARC rating. It's certified to NFPA 2112. It meets the requirements of the CGSB 155.20. So it covers both the flash fire and the ARC flash. Uh, TechaSafe Plus, same thing. It's got a uh, Category 2 9-cal ARC rating. Meets uh, certified to the 2112, meets CGSB standard, so it's suitable for both applications, as well as Glenguard, same program. Category 2, 2112 certified, meets CGSB. Those are three fabrics, that, among others. There's others out there that cover both flash fire and arc flash. And then you've got a newer fabric, Shield CXP, that's chemical splash, inadvertent splash repellent, and it's FR, so you've got the chemical splash protection and you've got the um, flame resistant certified to NFPA 2112 meeting the CGSB standard. So you've got a couple of different hazards that apply. These are just four fabrics. There's uh, more out there that uh, meet multiple uh, hazards. You've got uh, 8812 blends that uh, meet both arc flash and flash fires and, and, and others, so just a kind of a quick example of some of the fabrics that are available to uh, be purchased out in the marketplace. So what are some of the other factors to consider? You know the hazards, you know the protection capability of the garments, but what else is important when you're buying these kind of garments and putting them into place? Because they're not inexpensive. You know, these are safety garments, they're PPE. They're not, you're not going to JCPenney's to buy this garment. You're, you know, you got to get a special garment they are expensive, so what else do you need to consider? Durability of the fabric can be important. Air strength, abrasion resistance. If you're in an environment where wear and tear on the garment is a big deal, you're going to be working in rough areas, you know, out in the drilling fields or what have you. You know, the durability of the fabric is also important outside of the uh, protective properties. Appearance may be important. Uh, you know, if you're working for a utility company and you're out in the public eye, uh, you're working in a laboratory, appearance may be important, so color fastness, you don't want it to fade quickly, whether it's UV or laundering, you want it to have a good appearance. Moisture management, most of these applications, uh, or at least a lot of them, are working outdoors. They're working in the Gulf Coast, they're working high humidity, they're working high heat. You want a garment that's going to be able to wick some moisture off the skin, but you also want it to dry fast. You know, you, you don't want the uh, moisture to just be running down your back, but if it soaks into the garment and then stays wet, that's not comfortable either. So good moisture management properties, wicks well, dries fast, those can be important to know. Laundry shrinkage, because they're expensive, as I said, you don't want this thing to go on through a few laundries because it is going to get dirty. These are dirty jobs a lot of the times. You want to be able to launder them. Have them not shrink excessively so they still fit well and people will continue to wear them. And comfort. Everybody talks about comfort these days, even in safety clothing, even in PPE. Fabric weight can be a factor. The softness, suppleness, drape of the fabric can uh, play a role in that. So you want to make sure you got a garment that's comfortable. And fit plays a role, too. It fits well, feels good, not too heavy. Uh, comfort plays a role for 
being in compliance. Somebody's actually going to wear the uh, product, wear the shirt or the pant or the coverall. Breathability can also be important. Uh, you know, you don't want to wear a plastic bag that doesn't breathe. It may be flame resistant, but if it doesn't breathe, it's going to be uncomfortable. Uh, so having something that breathes well can also play a role in the comfort factor and uh, compliance, employees wanting to wear the particular garment. And then we talked about fabric durability, but we've also got garment durability. How is it uh, constructed? How is it sewn? How are the seams? You don't want to have seams ripping out, uh, you know, six weeks into the program um, because, again, expensive garments, they need to last. They need to be protective. So how they're sewn, uh, how the pockets are sewn on, are the snaps uh, going to stay in compliance, uh, buttons going to stay on and not fall off, all those kinds of things go into garment durability, which is another factor that you want to keep in mind when you're buying a garment. So you look at the hazard first. What's the safety requirements? Does the product meet the safety requirements? Do I have more than one hazard and more than one safety requirement, as well as some of these other factors? So let's kind of summarize the whole multi-hazard situation. Lots of different hazards out there, and there's you know more than these. These are the most common ones. But you, if you run into them, if you've got arc flash exposures, you're working around high-voltage equipment, if you've got flash fire, combustibles, vapors, uh, if you've got chemical splash issues potential, whether it's in a laboratory or it's in a processing plant where you're mixing, filling, processing chemicals, high visibility, um, whether it's in a plant where you've got moving vehicles around, whether it's on a roadway, uh, out on a drilling site, uh, you've also got molten metal potential, rain, all those hazards come into play identify your hazard, and then find the product that best suits, and make sure you look at all hazards, not just what the primary one is. You've got secondary hazards that uh, you need to be aware of. And then what are the standards that you need to make sure your garments comply with? NFPA, National Fire Protection Association, OSHA uh, requirements. You've got up in Canada the CSA requirements, ASTM, both standards and test methods. Canadian Flash Fire CGSB, ANSI ISEA for uh, the um, both for the welding and the uh, high visibility. What are the standards, and do these products meet the standards? Are they uh, labeled to meet the standards? Uh, make sure that they do what they say they're going to do. We talked about multiple encounters, multiple function contractors, all those kind of situations. If you've got those in your facility, in your situation. If you're going to run into different hazards, if you've got different functions that you do during the day that might uh, put you in front of a different hazard, if you've got people coming on site that uh, might be exposed to something that they're not particularly uh, aware of, need to have multiple hazard protection. Gave an example of some of the fabrics, MHP, TechSafe Plus. We didn't talk about DH, Glenguard, Shield CXP, High Visibility Ultrasoft. Lots of different fabrics out there that uh, will assist in having products that uh, work for multiple hazards. And then all the other factors, the durability, the moisture management, the comfort, the appearance, the construction. All these things come into play, but the products are out there now. Years ago, you had a different, pro a different garment, different piece of apparel, different piece of PPE for each hazard. So you're, you know, you either had to put on a secondary piece, you had to put on, you know, switch clothing, 
those types of things. Well, in a lot of cases, that's not necessary nowadays. You've got products that will be multi-hazard. Now, are they going to cost a little more sometimes? Yeah, could be, probably. Uh, but you got to keep in mind, you maybe you're substituting one garment for two. You're taking away that human air factor that they're going to remember to put on that secondary piece. It's just going to be more protective, and it's now available. There's lots of them out there. You search through the different manufacturers, find garments that are multi-hazard, and it, it's worth the extra because you don't have to worry about, are they going to be in compliance? Are they going to change their clothes? Are they going to put on the secondary? Those things are taken care of. So, you know, if you have multiple hazards, an ideal situation is have one garment that fits suit to protect against those hazards. So that's kind of the story. Um, certainly open for questions. So, uh, Joe, if you want to see what we've got to uh, answer now, I'm happy to uh, try and see if we can take care of that. Excellent. Great job, Mark. Thanks for your insights and expertise. Before we start the Q&A, a reminder, to ask a question, simply type it in the text box in the lower left-hand corner of your screen and click the button for Submit Question. Another reminder, everyone, the evaluation survey we're asking you to complete, survey should be appearing on your screen. Your input is important because it will help us improve future webcasts. If you do not see the evaluation survey on your screen, please turn off your pop-up blocker. You may also access the survey by clicking the survey button near the lower part, right part of your screen. Now let's get to those questions, Mark. Okay. Can a flame-resistant shirt be short-sleeved? Well, the answer to that is fairly simple. Uh, the answer is no. Um, in the standards, uh, they specifically talk about full protection, and we're talking about um, any parts of the body that can be exposed. You're talking about you know, down to the wrist, down to the ankles, uh, and you want them to be buttoned up, zipped up, snapped together, sleeves buttoned. You, you know, you don't want rolled up sleeves. You don't want to have exposure to uh, areas that should be covered. So short sleeve shirts are not, not what uh, should be worn. Now, will you see a short sleeve under layer, a base layer? Yeah, you can see that, but that's not the primary protection layer. So if you've got a short sleeve shirt as a base layer underneath of a flame resistant shirt, you know, that's something that can uh, can be done. Again, it's not always recommended because if you think about it, particularly in arc flash, if the shirt has an arc rating on the sleeve or I mean, for the full garment which includes the sleeve and you want to put on an under layer to bump that rating up to get a second arc rating, that works for everywhere except for where it's not double layers. So it's best to have long sleeves, uh, particularly for the outer layer, primary protection needs to be long sleeves. Is there a requirement for oil and gas workers to wear NFPA 2112 compliant garments? Well, there's not a um, hard and fast rule that mandates 2112. But in the OSHA, there was an OSHA uh, memorandum back several years ago that required oil and gas workers to wear flame-resistant clothing, and it references NFPA 2112 as a guideline for what you should wear. So they don't, OSHA doesn't specifically say you must wear it, but that's the uh, standard that it 
points you to, 2112, and if OSHA, if, so, if there's an injury, if somebody gets hurt and they're not wearing uh, a garment that is, uh, meets the requirements of NFPA 2112, which is the industry consensus standard, odds are pretty good that uh, you're going to have a problem. So um, it's not written in law, so to speak, that it has to be 2112, but you have to protect from known hazards. You have to use, uh, you know, what's best, what's commonly done in the marketplace, and NFPA 2112 is the national consensus standard. So even though it's not written in law, it's you better wear it, that, <laughs> or you're going to have a you know, potential problem. What's the difference between a garment being arc rated and it being flame resistant? That's a good question, and it comes up a lot. Um, and you can look at it kind of this way. Um, a flame resistant garment may not ne necessarily have an arc rating, but an arc rated garment is always flame resistant. So and by that I mean an arc rated garment has going gone through the testing, the ASTM F1959 test, to give it an ARC rating. Part of that is it has to be tested to see if it's flame resistant. If it's not flame resistant, they don't even ARC test it, so it can't be ARC rated. On the flip side, you can do all the flame resistant testing uh, for like NFPA 2112, flammability testing, mannequin testing, HTP testing, etc., and it can be labeled as a flame resistant garment. But if you didn't do an arc rating on it or do the arc testing on it, it doesn't have an arc rating. So hopefully that makes sense. You can you can be arc rated and that means it's flame resistant. But if it's flame resistant, that doesn't mean it's arc rated unless it has an arc rating on it. Okay. Does the apparel label include the heat stress prevention clothing adjustment factor? No, it does not. Um you know, I know heat stress is a big deal in the market this, these days, particularly when you're getting into, well, it's almost anywhere. But, you know, down in the Gulf Coast, uh, oil refiners and those kind of things, it's a big deal. But the clothing doesn't have any kind of heat stress prevention because there are a lot of factors that go into the heat stress, uh, creation of heat stress. And, um, you know, not just what you're wearing, but also, you know, the, the person themselves. You know, uh, there's a lot of factors that can come into play when you're trying to measure uh, heat stress. But no, there really isn't anything in the uh, garments, the flame-resistant garments, that uh, talks about uh, heat stress adjustment factors, at least not that I'm aware of. Thank you, Mark. Unfortunately, we have run out of time. I'm sorry we didn't get to everyone's questions today, but all of today's unanswered questions will be forwarded on to our speakers. Once again, I hope you take the time to fill out the evaluation survey on your screen to give us your feedback. That ends today's Safety and Health Magazine webcast. I'd like to thank Mark Zayner, everyone at WorkRight Uniform Company, and all of you who listened in. Thanks, and have a great day.